You've created your business and now it's time to protect it. Whether it's your podcast, speaking engagements that you do virtually or live on in-person stages or the community that you've built, you want to make sure that what you've created is taken care of and well protected. This is where AWB contract templates come in. They're customizable, quick and easy to complete and cost a fraction of working with a lawyer one-on-one. They have tons of options available so you can choose the ideal one for your business needs. It's an instant download. You get a Word doc template, you fill in the blanks and in about 20 minutes, you're all done. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash contracts today to pick out your new business contracts. And when you check out, be sure to use the code play for 20% off your contract purchase. That's P-L-A-Y in all caps for 20% off. Protect your business with AWB contract templates. Hey, what's up? Before you listen, I have a quick request from you. While you're over here listening, go ahead on down, give us a rating and a review, especially if you're on Apple Music. Let us know how much you appreciate what we bring, the conversation, the dialogue. Tell us how it supports you. Give us that good five star. We appreciate you. Welcome back to Pause on the Play. As always, it's amazing to see you here where you're challenged to examine your beliefs, question your predisposed notions, and consider realities you may be unfamiliar with in order to understand that they too are real. I am your host and conversation MC for the day, here with my co-host India Jackson and a special guest to get the dialogue going. Hello, Miss India. Hello. It is gray and dark and gloomy right now, so I am trying to have all the energy even though Nap sounds delicious right now. I'm there with you. I'm like trying to sound awake today, y'all. <laughs> Same. Same. However, I it is a conversation that I'm looking forward to because, you know, we talk a lot about language and trying to kind of audit what you say, things that you've been accustomed to saying over the years and being like, oh, that's not my favorite thing anymore. And I can see why. And kind of just recognizing how, it is tied to implicit bias and essentially some of the shitty underpinnings that we are taught that just really don't serve us, let alone anybody else. And the fact that it's a constant journey. Yeah. I mean, language is an area that I feel like you and I have spent, what, about a year and a half now diving into. And so many of our conversations, and like we even have a whole topic in our community Um, that has a permanent spot dedicated to language because it's just constantly evolving and there's always new things being brought to our attention. Correct. And I want to acknowledge that that time that you speak of, that's just the time from a professional standpoint. For us, we tend to be people in life that we tend to dig in the crates all the time and be like, hmm, do I want to keep this? Does this serve me anymore? Yeah. (laughs) it's, It's a bit of a lifelong journey of recognizing like, hmm, why do I say that? Or why are we taught to say that? Why do we use those words? And so being able to know that that's a part of how we operate, but then wait a minute, this is like an actual huge part of the deprogramming that doesn't always get enough attention 
because things just fly under the radar. And so when somebody is like, hey, I do want to talk about my journey on it. I'm like, yes, please. And thank you. Let's do that. Absolutely. So I'm going to ask that you so graciously introduce our listeners to Hanukkah. Ooh. <laughs> so today we <laughs> have the pleasure of having Hanukkah here. And born in South Africa, Hanukkah Antonelli is the author and award-winning certified life coach with 16 years of experience growing businesses in various industries. Now based in Boston, Massachusetts, not too far from us, Hanukkah draws on her business degree, Wall Street sales experience, and her decade as an entrepreneur to help business owners upgrade their leadership skills. With her help, they are able to focus on the path to sustainable growth that will reap higher profits and more freedom. And I'm so excited to have Hanukkah here with us today to share about her journey in language and writing her first book. So welcome to the show, Hanukkah. Hey, hey. Hello there, girls. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and I'm with you. What is up with this gloomy, dark, yucky weather? We have that up here in Boston as well today. So I'm totally with you on the... Ugh, <laughs> right. It's like naps would be awesome. However, here we are. <laughs> Maybe later this afternoon. Later I this know. afternoon. <laughs> so I always like to have our guests take a second and actually talk about themselves for a minute because our bios are very staunch and very professional. Oh, and it's yes. like, no, I've I've known you now for a few years and I'm like, no, that really doesn't even give you any inkling about right. <laughs> Talk a little bit about who you are. Yes. Okay. So as we mentioned, I grew up, born, raised, schooled in South Africa, and then I moved to London to pay off my student loan. And while in London, I discovered coaching, working with a life coach, and it completely helped me to do a 180 on my life. Um, coaching helped me to overcome depression, uh, as I mentioned in um my book that just came out, you know, I was um, in, I was uh, put in a psychiatric ward at age 19 um, because my meds had felt malfunctioned. And so um, that was really a turning point in my life that really um, sort of put into motion where I am today. And for me, coaching really saved me. It helped me to completely just revamp myself, my life to really uh, live it to the fullest. And so I, through London and then New York, finally quit Wall Street, uh, started my own business, built it up to award-winning status in record time. And then I was like, okay, but I really don't want to stay in fitness for the rest of my life. So what's next? And so it's then that coaching really called me. And um, yeah, and so in 2013, I started my coaching practice. And right off the bat, it was very interesting. People, you know, who were running businesses started coming to me. And it's so interesting because they will tell you that your niche will pick you. And you're always like, what? <laughs> and, <laughs> and it really has been that for me. My niche definitely picked me. And so here I am today, and I mostly work with established business owners, and I help them to grow uh, 
from like multiple six to over a million and more. Um, and as we all know, you know, in a certain time in business, you kind of hit a plateau. There is only so much time in a day. So how do you effectively delegate and also lead in a way that is effective, helps you to relax and release the control and trust your team. So I come in and I help people with that and then also help them to see different avenues of how they can expand their business, grow and increase profits. You use the word that people don't understand can be one of the biggest reasons that things don't work out the way that they want them to. And that's control. Yes. (laughs) That need to hold it tightly and to force it and to make it what you want it to be in the time you want it to be that thing. That's not how any of this works. No. I find that there's no evolution that can happen if you're holding Mm -hmm. control. Exactly. Yeah. You know, that's such an important uh, thing to remember. And I mean, I definitely have a degree in control trying to control shit <laughs> and it, <laughs> and um so you know I've had to to really learn these lessons the hard way and um you know it's interesting because I control that like sense to have control also influences your your mental health you know we just came out of mental health awareness month in May um and that obsession with control um is is very dangerous It is. It is. And with, you know, mental health being something that everybody in some way, shape or form has struggled with over the past year um, because of pandemic, because of the social uprising um, with those of us that do this work, kind of the pressure to fix all the things all Mm -hmm. of a sudden. um, And there's just this place of, you know, it needs to all be fixed now and it has to be done the way I think it needs to be done. And it does impact mental health in a very negative way. And it makes your journey of being better harder. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, when you first told us that you had finished writing a book, um, I was thinking to myself, how in the world did you have the time uh, to do that? And the, the mental capacity amongst a global pandemic and a social justice movement of 2020. I mean, that was just like, for me, I'm like, how in the world is this woman doing this? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I think (laughs) to answer your question. So I locked out in that 95% of this book was written like before March. And so I think I finished the first draft in 90 days and I finished it on April 18th or something like that. It was sort of ahead of deadline. And so at that point, you know, we were only dealing with like the pandemic, like the social justice thing was still sort of heating up and it hadn't exploded as much yet. So I I want I don't want to call it luck. I don't know the, the, a better word to put it, but I think it was, you know, I had done all the hard work and then it just became the discipline and the focus of tuning the things that are out of my control right now out 
and focusing on this thing that I want to bring into the world that I know will help so many people to be able to create change in their lives, create impact in their communities. Because I have this, you know, my the whole book is kind of built on my model called the up-level formula. And the up-level formula um, goes as follows, and it sort of mimics how your brain works. And so how your brain works is something happens, and because of your upbringing and because of your beliefs and past experiences, you are going to have a certain thought about something. And then because of that thought, you will have a feeling, and because we have a feeling, we'll have a reaction. And so if you want to improve your experience, my up-level formula, I kind of expanded to include the following. So you want to think that your beliefs plus your language plus your thoughts plus your feelings plus your actions are going to give you an experience or a result. So these are the only things that are in our control that we can take ownership of to have an impact or to have the experience that we want in this world. And so, you know, even just coming to what we will be talking about today, this like uh, conditioning, societal conditioning, cultural conditioning, that's all in that belief area. And so as I was writing this book, I was like, I need to finish this book. This book needs to get out because this is an easy way for you to tap in and build awareness so that you can affect the change that you want to see. But it starts with you. Hmm. That. <laughs> and it's, it's um, I feel like it's it's a debatable point between some people because some people think, um, changes top down and that it mm-hmm. doesn't happen on the individual level. Some people think it's bottom up. Mm-hmm. I actually think it has to be both. Yes. Um, I don't think that everybody can do both things at one time because that's a lot. So mm-hmm. I, you know, for me, there's the counterparts of people that are on kind of a, a policy level, a governmental level, a, yeah. you know, uh, hiring things of that nature, like, like in hiring on like, from an affirmative action, even type, like large scale standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I always feel like I don't care what comes down from the top. If the bottom doesn't want to do it, they're not going to do anything. Yes. And so that to me is where it has to start with you. It does have to tap into your beliefs, which of course is going to inform your language, your thoughts and your feelings. Because if you don't kind of get a grasp on that, then you can almost put yourself in a place of uh, being prepped for anarchy because it's like, follow these rules. And the people are like, I'll be damned. I'm not doing that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, You know, yes. And so it it all starts with, with you for sure. And that we all have to cultivate that awareness. But before we can even start doing that, there's something that comes before that. And that's the commitment that you make to yourself that you're like, I don't like this about myself or society anymore. So therefore I'm committing to starting to work on myself and my, you know, whatever it is that I want to change 
to get a better experience in my current situation. And so because of that commitment, I will hopefully be a, like a, an asset to society. I'd actually love to kind of get your a little bit of insight on that because I think that commitment, mm-hmm. sometimes people can... I feel like sometimes maybe they feel like they are not as committed to it mm-hmm. because they're doing it on their yeah. own mm-hmm. and that they forget about the accountability that can come from being in community with others that have similar commitments and some mm-hmm. of that um, kind of support that can help you to stick to it and continue when it does get challenging. Like, How do you see that show up with clients and, you know, kind of that place of like, oh, Somehow, I must, maybe I'm not committed because I'm not doing it on my own. I don't have enough resolve. Yeah, so that is definitely like, you know, asking for help is a huge, huge um, problem for a lot of people. We, we are conditioned to think um, that we should somehow be able to do everything by ourselves. And I think that is also a cultural thing or a societal thing of not showing vulnerability. Yeah right? Asking for help is a sign of weakness. And so if I am weak and you see me as weak, then there's a whole bunch of things that will happen, right? Like your self-esteem and all those that you think people will diminish you or not see you as a valuable asset or um, just, yeah, acknowledge you. So um, when it comes to this commitment, you know, I often, I will sit with people, I'll go like, okay, so what is your goal? And with me, normally, it's like, I want to grow my business, I want to make a million dollars or whatever it may be. And I'm like, okay, well, how committed are you to that goal? And then I will, they'll, you know, on a scale from zero to 10, 10 being like, hell yes, I'm going to do it. Zero being like, no motivation to do it. And so we'll tap into, um, say they say it's a seven and I'll go like, okay, so what if, what about this goal? What's coming up for you? Why is it a seven? And normally it will be a fear of something, right? Like a fear of being seen, a fear of failure, a fear of, or a belief that actually I don't believe that I can hit that goal. And so until we can get that to an eight, so then we, we, you know, we go again into this up-level formula. Okay, well, if you want to achieve that goal, what do you have to believe? What do you have to think? What do you have to say? Because that's all part of creating change. Like if you want different results, you have to start doing things differently. And before we can do differently, we have to change our internal things. And so through working with people, we'll then get them to an eight. Now, now they go out into the world, they, you know, say they're going to do this thing and it does not happen. That normally tells me one of two things. This isn't your internal goal. Like this isn't actually, you don't actually care about this. Or B, you do really care about this, but you need accountability. And or you need to outsource this to someone else. So that's normally how I work with people and folks around this and encouraging them that them asking for help is not a failure. It's allowing them to step closer to what they want. It's a powerful reframe. I'm curious to know uh, a little bit more about your own journey with that. I know uh, 2020 definitely woke you up to a lot of things and you committed to finishing an entire book in the middle of that. Um, Mm. I would love if you could share with us a little bit more about what are some of the things that 
you needed to shift in your thinking, your beliefs, your language, and your actions. Yeah. So for me, it was definitely like it came out in the language as I was writing. So um, I was super fortunate in getting uh, my friend who is an editor and has a ton of experience and he's also gay. So, you know, he is, I think, woke on a whole nother level just because of his own experiences. And so I, you know, am writing white lady from South Africa and I go, it felt like a slave driver. And he's like, and his note back to me was like, hey, lady, <laughs> this is not the language. What do you know about slave driving? Please tell us, right? So he would just push back on me. And it's these words that you just, you hear it all over the place. And you're like, well, I mean, it's just socially acceptable to say these words. But when you actually stop and think where that word comes from, you're like, yeah, why are we saying these things? Like, why would I use that language? And it was, um, it, it sort of made me aware, you know, again, growing up in South Africa, we had apartheid, there's, um, you know, still a lot of racial tension. And I'm, and all of a sudden, I became aware of all of these things that we just say, because, you know, that you just say it, because your parents were saying it, like it just happens. And you're like, but that's, we can't say that at all. Why have we been saying this? The connotation of this saying is A, like hurtful. B, it, it gives this idea that someone's life is worth more than someone else's. Like all these little things in language, you know, that, we say and we don't think about it twice yeah that <laughs> right and i and i sort of i there was a couple of things like there was and what was also interesting for me to write this book is like i had to write this book and ensure that i used language that would translate into both cultures mm and not mm -hmm. offend people in both cultures, right? So there was something right in the beginning of my book that I had had there and like right at like number, and my editor wasn't going to pick up on that because this is a South African cultural thing. But basically what I said in there, I was like, yeah, this is racist. Like, I'm sorry. Like, what the f am I saying? <laughs> I can't say this. And I, I, you, you would only know that if you grew up in South Africa, mm. like if you're in America, you would just sort of read over it and it wouldn't mean anything. And I was like, no, what am I doing? And I kind of had a little meltdown. I was like, oh my God, I can't leave this book out like this. This is horrible. What am you know? Um, and there was a bunch of other things too. And it really has had me think a lot like about how often we use language and we don't understand the impact or the effect or the nuance that is wrapped up in simple little words. So first of all, thank you for, you know, being vulnerable and acknowledging that because a lot of people would just be like, oh, nobody knows I did it. I'm never going to yeah. talk about this. I'm not <laughs> going to be transparent because that's a teachable moment. Yeah. And I think that there's one, that place of being receptive enough to receive feedback from somebody of like, yeah, let's not say this. 
-hmm. But then there's also that place of having that awareness of let me make sure that I'm not only checking this for the culture that I currently exist in, but outside of that as well. And I understand that that's a, that's a large thing to take on because obviously there's so much nuance across the globe of this means this means this means this. Yeah. However, even just having that consideration of wait, holy shit, no, no, that can't go like that. No. And to make that change, knowing who your intended audience is, who's likely going to be reading it and how that can be perceived. Mm -hmm. That's, Mm -hmm. that's a large responsibility to not take on because that's where I feel like it really gets big. It's when you don't take it on because now you have to do the cleanup after the fact exactly. if this doesn't Agreed. work well. And exactly. and that's if you find out that it doesn't work well. It's worse if you never hear and you yeah. just get the backlash of it after the fact of how terrible it was. Exactly. And, and then also there's like, if it happens, I wish people would just take fucking responsibility. Just, mm-hmm. Like we've seen it so many times, you know, so I've, I've experienced sexual harassment, you know, all these like just there's so many ways that this can um, affect us, right? Like on many, many levels, it, it's not just um, racial there or social or it's on so many levels that these things play in about, you know, how you say something and that person does not take responsibility and say, sorry, yeah. Mm-hmm. I may stop. And, and that to me is worse. I'm okay with you messing up. It's going to happen. We are not going to go through life and not offend one single person. It's just going to happen. But when it happens, can you be the person that accepts responsibility, doesn't delete the post, mm-hmm. doesn't like deny that it ever happened, just own up to it. Just go, yes, I did that. I see that it's wrong. I, um, and just, and be sincere. I'm not saying just sort of, you know, spew the the bullshit words at us. Um, really just own it. Um, for me is very important. And, you know, yeah, like just writing the book last year, my eyes opened up just in so many ways where I was like, yeah, no, like, just own it. And I, I specifically wanted to talk about this and say like, Hey, I was writing this book and let me tell you, I definitely did mess up at times because I think we have to, um, give people permission to say, I, I did this wrong. I, I understand now I've come to a new understanding. Um, and on a deeper level, I have uncovered some things and it's okay to do that. Um, and even, you know, in, in uh, speaking to my editor, I was like, you know what? I actually just signed up for this podcast and I'm actually just going to come out and say that I had some of these things wrong in my book. And he, and I was like, and you caught, and I, I said, and I'm going to say this because I think a lot of us say this. And also this is somewhere where, um, specifically as, uh, no, it doesn't even have to just be white, but even if we think about gender or racial or social, where it's like, you can't say that anymore. Excuse me? We should never have been saying it in the first place. Right. Thank you for saying that. Yep. 
Like, and so that, and I mean, he, again, uh, you know, I said it and he's like, just so you know, you can't like, why are you even saying anymore? It's never been right. I'm like, Oh God, you're right. WTF. Like, right. Right. It's yeah. And you're just so unaware. We're so unaware. Programming. Mm -hmm. It's meant to be innocuous. It's meant to kind of seep in and to be something that is very imperceptible. It's just there. Mm-hmm. However, once you recognize it, like y- it doesn't go away. Like there's no way to be like, no, that wasn't what it was. Like, oh yeah, it was. Yeah. I always use the matrix reference. Like once you take the m- pill for Morpheus, that's it. Right. <laughs> that's, we're, we're, exactly. here. Yes. we're here. Yeah. We're here. But that's that to me is also that's progress, right? Like we are waking up, we're becoming more aware. We, it takes time to affect the, this change. So once the penny drops, um, if you were previously unaware of your bias, once that penny drops, a, I think a lot of people are afraid of oh my god, like, ugh. but actually. Once that penny drops, you are you you really do feel like oh I can make a lot of impact just by even having these conversations with my friends who maybe are not understanding or you know parents or whomever. I'm so glad that you see that that way. I'm not sure if everyone takes that approach. But I do think that change happens with that approach of saying the pennies dropped, I'm going to own what's what's happened here, and I'm going to keep the conversation going because there's power in that. It's not an easy thing to do, but it's where the change happens. Yeah. Well, and it's the fact that even having that conversation, this is not, oh, I've had the conversation and I don't have to have it again. No. It's understanding that that penny is likely going to drop again, maybe somewhere else maybe in a different way, but it, it likely will. And it's, it's, you know, what do you do next? Absolutely. You know, and I know for me, as I started waking up to a lot of things language wise in 2020, it was like the more that I realized, oh, this phrase, I don't even know where this phrase came from. Let me unpack it. I started realizing more and more and more phrases. Did you find that to be similar or different for yourself? Oh my word. Yes. Like, there are so many things that people still say in South Africa that I'm like, Oh my God, what are you doing? What, like, listen to the implication of the words that you're using. Um, you know, and I, I've also grown up. So, you know, um, we have interracial relationships in our family and we have some family members that are maybe not, woke or as woke or aware and so in our family we've had to have these conversations whereas I what you you can't say that that's so disrespectful that's so like you know we've we've had to have these conversations within our nucleus family but also even with extended family Open the internet. And this is where sometimes people don't, if you don't know, like there are times that it comes from, you know, sometimes you're nearest and dearest and you're like, wait, wait, wait. Yes. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and you have to, you have to, you know, correct or redirect or in some cases, 
have some extremely uncomfortable conversations that sometimes can, you know, if the, if the damage is caused, at least from my point of view, I would rather cause that damage than to leave the damage unspoken that you oh, no. created to begin with. Yes. That just no. festers. Yes. Because the thing is, you have to call attention to it um, because these are phrases and things that are just sort of, uh, they've just become the norm. And so the person that you're speaking to may not be as aware yet and therefore calling it in, bringing attention to it, putting a boundary that, okay, like even if you're not going to change your thinking and feelings around this, like then I need you to understand that in my house, this is not acceptable. Or when I'm in conversation with you, I am not going to stand for this. Well, and this is where, again, it's the drawing up the boundary in your relationships of what you will and will not tolerate. But it's also having that place to constantly be um, in conversation for whenever it can show up because there's it showing up from um, a gender standpoint, race, ableism. Um, mm-hmm. Like there's so many areas that it shows up. And um, even, you know, cause like just now, like when you say what I won't stand for, and that's been one of those things that I have been consciously trying to take out of my, my vocabulary and even mm-hmm. with redirecting the kids because it's very common to say, but then when you recognize that the disabled community can be challenged by it, it's like, wait, ah, I gotta, I gotta mm. work on that. And it's, again, it's just like you guys, it is such a constant effort in being, you know, diligent of paying attention to what you say and what you have normalized. And for me, it's been like yes. this big question mark of like, how did these things even get started? <laughs> Why did these become mm-hmm. the norms in the first place? I've even started to unpack some ridiculous terms like cat got your tongue. And I'm like, who started that and why? (laughs) And if we don't know what that really came from, why are we using it? As we start to wrap up, I would love to see if there are any kind of last minute thoughts or a question or prompt that you would like to present to the listeners. Well, actually, I have a question for you guys. Yeah, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but so tell me. So I have a question. So what if? So so, why not you guys? Patriarchal. Ah, oh, because it's you guys, guys and right. not you ladies. Ah. Well, see, and that's where for me I say y'all or everyone because I don't want to self gender anyone especially if we haven't had a conversation yeah, I just about learned something. <laughs> right so um, you don't want to assume that there has been a conversation or that they want to have that conversation and so by not forcing any it's just like when someone walks into a room and they say good morning ladies you have now assumed that everyone in the room identifies as a lady but the and- whole world's ladies <laughs> <laughs> there's that there's a female okay i don't understand why like the the guy is even bothering i'm just kidding of course i'm just kidding but no that's such an interesting thing that i haven't even ever thought about it's like yeah that's Mm -hmm. so patriarchal yeah and it's it's interesting because um it's a conversation that 
we publicly started over at the pause and the play Instagram account um, mm -hmm. in March, right, Erica? I think it was when we were still at so. Alt Summit. Yes. I did a post about how I'm breaking up with you guys, the phrase, um, not the followers. And I ended up getting so many responses because I think it's one of those things that we all say we don't think twice about. And yeah. then when you really unpack how it's been so normalized and yet it's so problematic, it really opens up your eyes to see how many other phrases are we using that we're not thinking oh, about. Oh, so many. So many. I'll also raise my like hand and we're... say the moment I decided to break up with you guys, it came back with a vengeance and I found myself saying it all the time out of trying not to say it anymore. Because it was determined, baby, baby, please. I'm going to hold on. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And but so like and the, the, the patriarchy, the sexism and recognizing where it shows up, it's like, ah, you tried to get me. No, you won't. Yes. But you know, I think also you were probably saying that all the time, mm -hmm. Erica, because I think I, I, if I think back on conversations that I've had with you, mm -hmm. I can remember you saying that, right? Oh, like, yeah. Absolutely. And it's totally fine, right? Totally fine. I'm not like trying to point the finger here. What I think is actually happening here is a little bit like when you decide you're going to buy a certain car and all of a sudden that car is right. everywhere on the road. Yes. Now, people didn't go out yesterday and buy that car just so that it could be everywhere on the road for you today. Nope. That car was always on the road. Absolutely. It's just your attention has shifted to it. And that's mm -hmm. the beautiful thing, right? Like, and this is about what your um, podcast is all about. This is what our work in the, the world of affecting change is all about. The more we can bring awareness to these things, the more we are focused on them. And when we're focused on something that we do not like, we can go, hmm, this does not belong has never belonged and therefore right. we're going to release this now and do something differently. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you just changed my belief about the words you guys. <laughs> and so because you changed my beliefs, I can now change my thoughts around it. I'm like, Oh wow. Yes. Patriarchal because it's patriarchal. I'm like eliminating that from my language. And now my actions are going to be different. Right. And See? my experience, because yeah. I will now be more inclusive when I speak to people in a room that don't identify as you guys. Look at that. See that? You ah. heard it straight from Hanukkah. <laughs> you got to break down what you're thinking, believing, saying, and then also integrate that into what you're doing. Yes. It's Absolutely. all of, you know, that's the, the, the. For me, very importantly, so part of what I did last year too is I went on a little um, consumption. Can we still use the word diet? Because I'm almost thinking that that's also one of those words that maybe has to go yeah. the whole diet scene. Um, but let's just say I limited what I was consuming and the type of media I was consuming last year. And specifically, I didn't read any self-help books, right? And um, because I was like, I already know so much Let's integrate and implement the stuff that I've already learned. Right. And so, yes, I'm all for when you learn something, take some time to start to integrate it into yes. your life, to see the results. Because the little silver magic bullet that you're looking for is not out there. Thanks. It's right inside of you. You've got the wisdom. 
and you can affect change by uncovering more of your goodies that you have inside because you're here for a specific reason to create a specific purpose and impact so the change starts with you absolutely so with that tell everyone where they can find you so you can find me the easiest way would be the up level project book.com again that's the up level project book.com because spelling my name Hanukkah Antonelli is kind of takes you a while <laughs> <laughs> so just the up level project book.com you'll get to my website you'll get to the book called the up level project which is your guide to unlocking higher profits while creating more freedom um, and you will get to learn all and hear all about my own journey with overcoming depression sexual harassment to building two award-winning businesses and also over you know just um uh some other fun stories about clients, etc. in there. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much it. For for everything you coming and spending time with us. Thank you, Hanukkah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, y'all. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> the beauty of this conversation was you got an opportunity to hear about the teachable moments that can happen when you are in dialogue with people. You got to hear opportunities to present something different and giving an individual the, the, the chance to say, hmm, I didn't think about it that way. And that makes sense. And I think I want to do something with that. You also got a chance to hear why it is that being in conversation is so important because these moments likely would not have happened without that space of being comfortable and just talking and being yourself and knowing that you can receive this information and still know that you can continue this conversation in this shame and blame free space. You're able to not only take in this information and have learned something different, but now you have something to go be actionable with. And it can shift the way that you perceive the world. That is what is so important. That is a cornerstone of why Pause on the Play exists. It's a cornerstone of why India and I created the community. And it was absolutely a huge part of why we created our upcoming live event, Dropping the Veil, coming up on Thursday, August 12th through Saturday, August 14th. Dropping the Veil is a three-day virtual event. It's all about being more of yourself. And it's going to give you the opportunity to not only listen to the stories and realities of diverse individuals, but to take in and reconsider your normal with that information you're taking in to talk with others about it and to figure out ways that you can make, make it actionable and go out forth in the world and do something with it. And that's always the goal. And so in order for you to be a part of it, I'd love for you to go over to pauseontheplay.com forward slash events, look up Dropping the Veil, grab your ticket today so you can be in the room, you can be a part of the conversation, and you can be a part of the change. Every 
episode, we show up here having real conversations so we can normalize challenging things and allow you to make them a part of your everyday exchanges. This is how we remove stigma and create real change and connection. You know that I love being here, creating this space, facilitating these changes with you so we can all be more of who we truly want to be. So until the next time, keep the dialogue going. Bye. Ready to get clear on what matters? Let's do this. From implicit to explicit is a framework that helps you to get clear on what matters and how it informs the way you live and lead in your workplace. Whether it's focusing on the team building and connection that can happen when you talk about what matters to you as a person or how it informs the outcomes that you seek in your business, it can all completely change the game. Having clarity on what your values are and how this shapes the way your work creates the foundation for every action that you take and then sharing this information across your team explicitly. This is what creates confidence and integrity in what it is that you are creating and sharing with the world. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash explicit to learn more about this collaborative and interactive workshop and sign up today. Ready to lead through your values?